it's like not on my watch. Like I will use every minute of my day that's available in that capacity to offer whatever I can in terms of experiences, love, wisdom, tools, practices, so that if and when people feel ready to step into the light, to step into their highest potential, then they can go back and lead and live and parent and communicate in ways that are individually and collectively, like I said earlier, shifting global consciousness. Is that too hippie? Like, can people take you seriously if you're like, hi, I'm Lindsay, I'm a, I'm a guy. Going to coaching is weird. Like weird people do that. They're hugging, they're talking about feelings. It's weird. Yoga, that's weird. That's like old ladies in unitards in basements do not go into yoga. So my ego has not wanted to do a single thing I've ever done. No job title is going to buy you happiness. Even having the kids and moving to Costa Rica won't necessarily make you happy. That's an inside job. Who am I to like own Nosara and own the magic of this? I'm an expat. I came here just because I came here a little earlier than other people. It doesn't mean I have like full ownership rights to the magic of this town. What would you say to the person who's just like, man, this woman sounds pretty intelligent, but all this hocus pocus mumbo jumbo guide all this type of stuff. I just don't buy it. I'm trying to show our millions of so, listeners the multiple sides of you. Yeah. Every single thing I say is deeply rooted in research. The people who really need to subscribe to this might get exposed to the wrong teacher. I notice um, I'm feeling like a little bit nauseous in my stomach right and I, you now. You can't change this. this. This is just, hey, conversation. You're, just, you're describing that old saying, small town, big hell. Lindsay, I am happy to have you in. Thanks for coming to the studio. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. We've known each other for a while and it feels fun to kind of jam in this context. Yeah, yeah. Um, quickly introduce yourself and I'll get right into it. I know my first question right away. Okay, so my name's Lindsay and right now I'm really excited about my business is called Alive and Awake. And I've been coming to Nosara. This is going on to be our 15th year. And I uh, tell you a little bit about my story is... I started out in the corporate rat race. I went to an elite business school, got recruited into this crazy wild management consulting job. And at a very young age, had kind of checked off all the boxes of all the things I thought you were supposed to do in life. And luckily, it happened quite young. I got kind of to the top of that mountain of success at that stage and looked around and thought, is this it? There's got to be more. And I was filled with chronic anxiety. I had a, a mouth guard because my jaw was locked all the time from stress. I was working like 14 hours a day, crunching numbers in this bank tower that was like freezing cold because it was too much air conditioning. And I had a real awakening slash shattering at that time in my life of realizing that the dream that I had worked so hard for was somebody else's dream. I was just kind of going along with what the next great achievement was mostly to compensate for my own uh, anxiety. And I felt that by controlling all my external circumstances and overachieving and really getting onto this perfectionistic path, it was actually my way of self-soothing in my anxiety. And so that awakening I had in my kind of early, early 20s was profound and massive. And in that time, I decided to leap into my greatest fear, greatest terror, which was to step off this predictable A-track life that I had so mm. carefully crafted for myself. And I ended up taking a leave of absence from this ideal thing that everybody else wanted that I had. And I stepped into the unknown. I leapt off the edge of a cliff, quit that job or tried to quit that job. They actually ended up letting me take a leave of absence, which was a one of many, many lessons I've learned about 
stepping into the unknown, stepping into your fears that we always think it's going to be the worst case scenario. And more often than not, it's, it's the best case or at least way better than what we anticipate. And so I went traveling around the world and started to see how people in other countries lived, in other cultures lived, and really was aware of this Western obsession with overworking, overachieving, which, as we know from society, is leading to a lot of dysfunction, mental, physical, emotional trauma, really, uh, pervasively across society. And I studied people from different cultures who, instead of living to work, were working to live. And so I had many, many, many profound experiences in my travels. And specifically, one of them was in Thailand, uh, going on a little riverboat cruise in the backwaters where all the local people lived was across the river from the opulence of Bangkok. And I had come from this world of, of downtown Toronto, of Bay Street, of kind of the wealthiest of the wealthy in, in this country that was one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And there's such a sense of, of dissatisfaction, anger, um, sadness in this wealthy kind of hub that I had come from. And going through these backwater tour to go to this floating market, I saw this group of little boys who were about six or seven years old, swinging on this rope swing in little tidy whitey underwear, landing in in the river and they were living in houses that were about the size of this room with often three generations of people. And what I saw were these looks of complete elation, complete joy on their faces. And for me, it was one of the greatest awakening moments I've ever had about really asking what is success? What is wealth? What is abundance? And the pursuit of happiness and all these phrases that we hear about how misaligned so much of the Western world is, in my opinion, and how misaligned I had been in my past. And that was the catalyst for me to completely transform my own life and through my own transformation, use my life as art and as a giant social experiment to figure out what has people thrive, what has people... I've done deepest dives into almost the entire spectrum of human nature, everything from the darkest kind of underbelly subjects of serial killers and all kinds of things right on up to my massive obsession, which is positive psychology, leadership, human potential. And now really ultimately about how do we shift the collective consciousness of the planet and help as many people as possible to get on their own highest paths of living in a state of joy, love, gratitude. And from that inner state, we're then able to serve out in the world along something that's meaningful and purposeful. And so it creates this massive individual and collective positive spiral. In my opinion, when we feel good, we do good. When we do good, it makes us feel good. And so that's that's where I'm at in my journey at this moment in time. Wow, that's a heck of an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. I was like, I don't know what's going to come out when I start to, I'll start talking, but something will that come. That was great. Okay, so you might have answered my question already, but my question is, what aspect of your work are you focusing on with your consistent Instagram beach messages every day? Like, what are you doing out there? Mm. It's, um, it's amazing to see. A lot of people have a good day. They get fired up. They, they, they have some stuff to share, and, and off they go. Tra-la-la. You're there every day. And you're dancing around on the beach, getting after it. So I want to know what's going on. So fill me. That's my first question. I love that you said dancing around on the beach because dancing is one of my greatest joys. And it's really the evolution of my journey has been 
hilarious and absurd. And I thought I had it all figured out. I was a real planner. I'm really strategic in my thinking. I'm very analytical. And I love that the more I think I have life figured out, the more the universe is like, ha ha ha, silly child. You're so cute with all your plans and all your things. So how did I end up dancing joyfully on the beach in Costa Rica? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I started coming to Costa Rica right after a few years after that year of travel that I shared with you. And the instant I got specifically to Nosara, I felt like I had come home. Mm. And I can't explain it, but I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling. It's like you know it in your bones. A lot you know of people in, sitting in that very spot have said exactly what you just like said. Like within the first few hours of being in this town. What is it? It's like for me it was this feeling of of a complete body experience, soul experience of I've come home. Familiarity, a feeling of safety, a feeling of being held of um, the most at home I think I've ever felt, which is so weird to say that. Um, Sounds crazy if you just hear the words. Yeah. Um, I, and again, I, I would I would think you're crazy too if it hadn't happened to so many of us. And it's weird how a place seems to have some sort of stick, if I can make up a word, it's like sticktivity. Like, yes. No, sorry, sticky. Yes. People come here every year who travel all around the world yes. constantly, and then they come back here. And I, I always ask, it's like, what is it? And a lot of people are like, I just feel comfortable. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's yeah. it, There's something about this place yeah. that's so sticky. Like, what's that about? So I would you just say, defined it yourself. I would just say that my soul has come home here. Super simple and super powerful. And it's my story is exactly that story. I had just come off of traveling around the world, and there was there was no... I'm such a gypsy soul. I was like, there's no limit to where I would have continued to travel. Mm -hmm. And then I came here and it was the most fascinating thing. Again, talking about plans, like in my type A personality, I'm like, what other countries should I see? Let's check off the list. And I even hear people now saying, oh, I'm going to go to every continent. And it's this like conquering kind of attitude about travel, which is amazing. Um, but I got here and it's like my soul had come home. And from that year on, every year since, which is going on 14, 15 years, I came back here every single opportunity for every vacation I ever went on, except for one when my parents invited our whole family to Mexico. And I learned from there how much I really love Nosara. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, that was exactly my story. This like global gypsy traveler. And, and I got here and I was like, I never need to go anywhere else again. And so for me coming here, I was still very much in that concrete jungle rat race life. I ultimately ended up going into transformational leadership coaching and going back into that corporate space as a coach, as a, a leadership um, mm. so, sort of so guide. Right at, so right after, your, let's call it your global sojourn, Yeah, you have this moment, you're like, I'm going a different direction, but you jump back into the machine yes. kind of as the coach. And that is, yes. I'm guessing, a step of stone to getting you out of the concrete jungle exactly. and into the real jungle. It's it's really interesting because I think that um, when we talk about, I call it ego versus soul. Like my mind was like, get the hell away from corporate. It's gross. You hate it. I hated everything about it. My heart and my soul were like, there's something there for you. And then there's also this idea of calling, of what's being asked of us. So there's what we think we should do and what our minds and our egos are sort of telling us, like we should check off the boxes. And um, my ego at that time was a little bit jaded about corporate because I, I thought it was gross and I hated the whole thing. Mm. My heart and ultimately what 
the universe had bigger plans for me was that I kept getting asked to come in and do um, workshops, to do coaching. And because I had no attachment to it, because I really didn't want to do it anyways, I really wanted to rescue people from the machine. And I wanted to get them transitioned out and I wanted to get them starting their own businesses or doing all these things. But what I realized and became really humbled by was that not everybody wants to leave the machine. That was my reality. And that's my dharma. That's my purpose on the planet. But that's not everybody else's. Similar to a religious conversion or, or when someone takes up a new health habit exactly. or they stop smoking or drinking. It's like, I'm doing this, so you should yes. do it too. Oh my gosh, I love that you said that because... I see it now all the time because I've been kind of, you know, we call it about being in the work. I've been on this deep path of growth and transformation for many, many years now. And and I see people who are just kind of having newly having awakenings or awarenesses. And I can always tell that somebody's newer in their journeys because they're trying to convert everyone around them. And there's a humility in my experience that evolves over time of understanding that my path isn't everyone else's path. And also, by the way, I know nothing. I know nothing even about my own life, never mind what everybody else should be doing. So I'm just going to zip my lips and listen and I'm going to do me and everyone else can do them. And if it's of service, I'm, I offer my my offerings to people who are hungry and excited and waiting for it. And otherwise, I mind my own business. I lead by example. I live my life. I live my values. And so what happened, though, to me was that I kept getting invited back into corporate, into these like sitting across from CEOs, CMOs, being in that like Accenture and Procter and & Gamble and these top, top tier companies. They wanted what I had to offer, which was basically like truth and love and a lot of these different ways of thinking around transformational leadership for me is really about tapping into your purpose on the planet and living aligned with your passions. And while you're doing that, being just being a good human. You know, being a conscious leader, mindful communication, wherever pass possible, taking the high road and also deep self-forgiveness and compassion when we don't, when we fail, when we fall. Okay. So you, so I get it. So you still had one foot in now fast forward us. How did you get from there to here? So what happened was that we were just living this kind of wild rat race, concrete jungle life. So still, I say I was in this place, but not of this place. So I was playing the game. I knew exactly why I was playing it. And at the same time, I knew that I needed to, for my own mental health, physical health, spiritual health, I needed to pull myself out of it. So my upbringing was very blessed to be raised in Northern Ontario in a small town. And so I grew up every summer on the lake for two months straight, unstructured, we literally were like, my grandmother, my mom would send us out in the mornings and be like, come in for lunch and then we'll see you at dinner. That was my whole childhood. And so I was blessed to have a con deep connection to nature, a deep connection to family, to tribe, to community. And so when I got to Toronto, to this big city, it was really foreign to me that people worked that much, that people weren't connected to community, that people were so disconnected from nature and all of these things. And so I was insistent on crafting my career in such a way that I could have two months a year up at the cottage because that was non-negotiable. And especially once I had kids, even when I didn't have kids, I mm -hmm. every summer for two months, not two weeks, not a long weekend, two months solid July and August on the lake, which I do to this day. Wow, That was my number one priority. And the second priority was autonomy and flexibility that I could travel because traveling has become a massive passion of mine. And, and I'm also um, in this fierce kind of um, gypsy soul that I am. The whole idea of being told what to do and where to go and all of that for me is a no-go. So having the, f the freedom and flexibility to work from anywhere, to live life on my terms was extremely important. And so what I created was this, um, it's very in keeping with my personality. I'm like, I'm all in or I'm all out kind of 
I like to dance on the edges of aliveness, you know, I like to, to test the parameters of what's possible. So um, I would work and, and try to really create this massive value and impact through my work. And then at the same time, I would unplug and I would go sit myself in Northern Ontario for two months. And then Nosara became my other, I would come for a month a year with my babies and they would run naked on the beach and really replicating for them as much as possible. And for myself, that sense of freedom, of openness, of, um, and then also for me, as we all do, I had a lot of healing to do from my own life and journey as everybody does if they're being honest with themselves i really don't know a single human on the planet that doesn't have something they could they could if i meet if you're out there let me know i would love to to hear from you but for me nosara became this really introverted place so my life in north america was very extroverted and creating and mm-hmm. in the masculine encoded like if we think of yin and yang it was like the doing the creating the hustle the the that like black suits and hair pulled back and going out and the movers and the shakers. And, and here it was more that the yin, the feminine, the receiving, the relaxing, the recharging. And for me, because I'm so driven type A by nature, I needed to physically remove myself and create a context. And I just knew that about myself because I can get, and I think that's true of a lot of people. You can get influenced by your yeah, environment. That point resonated with me because I think the difference between you and most of the rest of us, though, is you're saying you knew that you needed that. Most people yeah. come here, I think, and it happens, and that's why they keep coming back. Yeah, you don't like they have that moment of, well, I felt really peaceful there. Yeah. I I decompressed a little bit there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting to feel that quite like that. I want to get a little bit more of that, and it kind of turns into yeah. this uh, a, a addiction to get away and into yes. a better spot. I love that you use the word addiction because that was. Um, I think partly because of how I was raised in a small town where when you get into a big city and this is any big city, New York, LA, London, there's, there's this scale that allows for you to get into a bubble of thinking that that way of living is normal, that overachieving, that more is more, that. Obs- you don't have to be a big city. It, that's just about everywhere now. I think. It's everywhere in, in its microcosms. But if you have absolutely no exposure to other ways of living, like in a small town, like I would go to a school with kids from all different walks of life. My my family, I have a kind of, my dad was a physician, my mom's dad. So I came from very much a service family. My mom and my grandmother were like the maternal figures for everybody in town. So we were very highly aware of all different realities, all different, um, the importance of service, the importance of community. For me, the importance of uh, of tribe, of connection was far beyond money, success, ego. That just was... I also happened to be an overachiever by my personality, but it was never ingrained in me from a values perspective that mm. my worth came from being smart or being successful or being recognized externally. So I had that gift in my upbringing, which I was able, I think, to bring. That's why when you're saying other people wouldn't have had that self-awareness, I think it was, which is partly the reason I raised my kids in small towns and in very um, exposed ways to other ways of living, because I think... People can create a lot of suffering in their minds if they think that their whole self-worth is based on their their job title or their money or the number of cars they have or the number of people they sleep with or whatever that may be. Um, Well, if expectations govern happiness. Exactly. In in a lot of ways, if if that's the case, and we're taught and we think, hey, I have to win at this or I have to get to this level in order to make it, quote unquote, that that is a source of misery. I I can speak for myself. It was always, 
I want to live a different life. I don't want to work at some basic job and be bored and died having never like really done something. Like I, I wanted to give it a go. Yeah. Um, and learning to qualify that as I get older, it changes. Yeah. How has it changed for you? Mm, at first it was, if I had the money to make it to Costa Rica, like on my own, on my own terms and I can move down as like, and have freedom. Yeah. I was trying to get here to accomplish the same thing you and everyone else was. I wanted to be free. Yeah. I wanted to raise my family in a different area, all that same stuff. But I wanted to make enough money to come do it on my own terms. Mm -hmm. Well, so I worked my 20s and early 30s, same thing, same story, shooting up the corporate ladder, having a lot of success. And then when the crash came, I lost everything. Mm. So I had been designing life to go around the circle this way. And then right as I thought I had it kind of figured out, <laughs> God, universe, life, whatever you want to say, smacked me. And I ended up yeah. going back around the circle the other way. But I lost everything in the process. But ironically, I landed exactly where I was trying to be. Yes. So it's, I was, humility is a pretty bitter pill to swallow. Oh, yes. And I really worked everything I had to get here on this way. And yeah. who would have thought right before I flew away, one of my, I got to give a shout out to an old friend named Lance. He goes to me, burn him. Whoever thought you'd be moving to Costa Rica, poor and broke. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and now you're moving there, poor and broke. You were trying to make all this money. You almost did yes. it, and then you lost the dollar. Now you're still there anyway. Yes. And uh, he said he was he was he was busting my cojones, but it was true. Yeah. And it was it's something I still carry around to this day. So now that being said, I've had to get here. I've had to work my living butt off. Yeah. It's a competitive, tiny little, weird, strange town. And in my day job, I. I do my day job because I have to, to feed my family. And that's the way I know to survive here. Mm -hmm. And I have a skill set that seems to let that happen, but mm -hmm. it's not what I want to do. What I want to do is go create a community center and do all these other amazing things and create like many little Ted talks around here and bridge the Ticos and the gringos. Like, but that's another story. Let's get back to you. So you're now dancing around on the beach. Yes. Happy as could be. Yeah. And it seems like you pulled it off. You have a beautiful family. It seems like you have yeah. a beautiful life. You're doing exactly what you want to do. Yeah. Um, you even, you did a TED talk recently. Tell yes. us about that. Okay. So, uh, I, I also wanted to loop in something that you said about addiction and then I'm going to talk about the TED talk it. because it's linked. Um, right. so what you're talking about as well, and this is something I saw in myself was that, um, we can get addicted to success. We can get addicted to achievement. There's actually lots of research about the dopamine hit. It's almost like it's the exact same hit as doing cocaine. So this hit of, of, uh, productivity, of achievement, of all of this stuff. And so when you, you say like, how did I have the awareness to come down here? I knew that of myself that I could get easily sucked into. I think that every, uh, blessing can also be a curse, right? Mm. Anything taken to its extreme can become toxic. So in my case, having this drive, having this, um, these abilities and this ability to achieve could very easily slip into overachievement, which can easily slip into burnout. And, and I see it across pervasively across my coaching practice for the last, you know, my entire career. Hey, you addiction. have to stop defining me uh, on my, on the podcast and exposing <laughs> that, that hurt, all that stuff you were just saying, Lindsay. The truth shall set you free. Don't worry. You know, it's better to know than not know. So that's what I knew of myself. And so, so for me again, um, the container of Nosara, I would come down here. I would let my kids run naked on the beach. I would give myself the space and the time. And I had to force myself because I know this again of, of every overachiever. I know every kind of person with that. And, and the slippery slope of it is that that's what society rewards. 
I was mm. literally winning awards. I was literally being given bonuses and promotions because of this ultimately toxic behavior that I was having, which was overworking, overachieving, not feeling enough, not feeling, trying to control everything because I was rampant, filled with anxiety. I was, I was just about to say for me, <clears throat> a lot of my personal issues would come back to anxiety. Yeah. Like I, I have a really, really hard time relaxing. Yes. Unless everything's in order. And especially after I became a father, it's yeah. like, wait, I got married. I have kids. Yeah. Oh God. It's like it, it quadrupled in my mind. What I, I basically, maybe it comes back to religious upbringing or something, but it's just like, no, no, you, you can't have fun. You can't relax. Yeah. You don't deserve that yes. yet. Once you get financially stable or to this point or to that, yeah. this or the other, that's when you can relax and only then. I love that. So I'm going to pull on so many threads that you just said. First of all, that imprinting of our childhoods, whether it's religious or educational or familiar or whatever it is, those values or those belief systems that we pick up, such a critical and important thing to do. And I think that's why traveling or coming to a place like Nosara is so profound because you get to meet people from around the world, different culture, different Pura Vida lifestyle. It really flies in the face, I think, a lot of how many of us were imprinted as kids in this, also this... Um, belief that I'll be happy when is so mm. pervasive, right? I'll be happy when I make X amount of money. Yep. I'll be happy when I have kids. I'll be happy when I move to Costa Rica. I'll be happy. I'll be happy when all externally validated circumstances. And, um, for me, again, I, because of the work I, I've been blessed to do and I've been blessed with hearing thousands of people's stories, I can, without a doubt, attest to the fact in my own experience as well, that money will not buy you happiness. No job title is going to buy you happiness. Even having the kids and moving to Costa Rica won't necessarily make you happy. That's an inside job. And so a lot of the work in that is about stripping away those childhood beliefs, stripping away those fears, those egos, the learning habits, practices, places, circumstances that help us stay mentally healthy, like exercise, surf, nature, meditation, dancing, singing, whatever it is, choose your medicine, but really learning to work with our natural, whether it's anxiety, depression, or, or other um, things that we may be navigating in life. And so for me, coming to Nosara was that. I, I, I was a massively obsessed with yoga already. So coming here and finding the Yoga Institute, Nosara Yoga Institute, up in the treetops in the old school, going to those classes every day, surfing, learning to surf here became a really cathartic. And for me, it's been surfing. I love it. It's been, um, what's the word? A place for alchemy for me. I have just starting to get into the bliss state with surfing. More it's been for me a place to face fears and to really kind of develop grit. Yoga for me is also that, but more really deep, deep, deep connection to self, to spirit, to um, flow state for me. So that's what this place was. And I remember I would come for a month and, and by the end of the month, I would have so decompressed. My kids were wild and free. I was really integrating many dear friends in the community, um, seeing many of them start as kind of young, um, you know, whatever, our babysitters or surf instructors or whatever, and then becoming entrepreneurs in the community and watching this community grow and, and being so proud and excited of of the whole um, tribe. And I remember on my last day, I would often go to yoga on my last day. And I remember one time the teacher said, and now think of something you're grateful for. And I just started weeping on my yoga mat. And this was my first time I'd come for a month. And what became clear to me was that I was so deeply grateful for this town and for this time here. And I knew in that moment that I would never not come back for a month a year. And that's when Nosara- It became the lake. It, exactly. And that's when my whole life changed. And from that point on, it was really committed to transitioning our family here. And ultimately, 
there was a moment, and I think you will probably relate to this. There was a moment about four years ago when Nosara had been my cocoon. It had been my safe place to come and go inside and release all the other noise of life and really do my inner work, to be honest. I wouldn't chat with people. I wasn't here to go out and chat and meet people. I really would chat with people if I happened to run into them on the beach mm-hmm. around sandcastles or maybe out on the break. But other than that, it was very much an internal time and place for me. And I remember once walking down the street about four or five years ago and seeing like half of North Toronto that I knew walking down the street. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, they're all here. And I had like a mini panic attack of they're coming to me. Like I've been trying to get away from that whole world. And I kind of got a little mad. I was like, why are they all coming here? And then I was like, oh God, it might be partly my fault. I think I've been telling everybody about this magical little town in the jungle. And there was a moment where I was like, I got to get out of here. Like I have to clear out. I want to go somewhere where I can be anonymous, where I can be introverted, where I cannot know anybody. I grew up in a small town. I was like, you know, all this stuff. And I, I really value privacy and I value that. And I, I had a little hissy fit, like a little pity party for me for like about a month or so. And I was like, I'm out of here. This place is, everybody knows about it. I know everyone here. And then I had this massive, like we call it a spiritual smackdown, my girlfriends and I. It's like when you have this like, get over yourself. And I was like, you know what? Who am I to like own Nosara and own the magic of this? I'm an expat. I came here just because I came here a little earlier than other people. It doesn't mean I have like full ownership rights to the magic of this town. And I also realized that in my... Um, in my own deepest transformation here, I had an ability to curate and create experiences for other people to facilitate their transformations and accelerate their journeys to their highest potential, to their, um, you know, their, their ultimate lives that they desire to live. And so in that moment, I changed my attitude. I changed my perspective and I decided to embrace growth and embrace transformation and use my, um, deep, deep, intimate knowledge of this community, of these people, of the geniuses in the jungle, I call everybody to curate these really profound transformational experiences for these elite global leaders who are going to go out and run their empires one way or the other. And you mentioned earlier about Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. And I'm like, I will do everything in my power to get as many people as possible aligned to their light versus their darkness. And if they're not ready, that's fine. I have no judgment. But in it's like not on my watch. Like I will use every minute of my day that's available in that capacity to offer whatever I can in terms of experiences, love, wisdom, tools, practices, so that if and when people feel ready to step into the light, to step into their highest potential, then they can go back and lead and live and parent and communicate in ways that are individually and collectively, like I said earlier, shifting global consciousness. And so Nosara is now for me, this beautiful container for me to be able to hold space for for anybody who's ready to make that kind of transformation. And the crazy talking to myself and dancing on the beach in the morning is because so many of those people now have come through here in my groups. And I I work one-on-one with people on, I just had a call this morning with somebody from Europe. So I'm on Zoom. And in Costa Rica, Nosar specifically are characters. They're they're guides in these journeys for people. So it's like, no, Sarah's like my, my wing woman. And so, um, so when you're, I'm, you're connecting, them. I'm connecting. And when I'm on the beach, I'm going to use, um, I get inspired. I see the birds. I see the sunset. I feel the deepest sense of connection to spirit, to nature, to life, to love. And it's, it's like something takes over my body and I get, uh, I get like 
sentences start forming in my ear and it's like a message starts coming to me. And I, sometimes I get annoyed because I have to run and go drive the kids. And I'm like, I don't have time for a message right now, but it just won't stop. And it keeps coming in sentences and sentences. And I've been humbled enough by people who have messaged me and said, thank you so much. That's exactly what I needed to hear that day. Or thank you for that picture of the waves today. I was having a really tough morning and that just brought me this sense of peace. And I just was able to shift my entire day. And, and I have realized that these are not messages for me. They're messages for somebody out there. Gotcha. And I'm just somehow able to tap into collective consciousness or I- intuition or whatever you want to call it. So you're being the best conduit you can. I'm, I'm literally just a vessel. I'm like here in service that's it all day every day I'm like tell me where you need me to go tell me what you need me to do and so when I'm out there dancing with the the phone and talking to nobody and everybody all at once it's because somebody out there needs to hear something that is coming through me and I I never even remember what I say I have to go watch it later and be like what did I just talk about and for me it's again this idea of service and of offering because I could easily walk that beach every morning and take it all in for myself. It is stunning. I can go do all these things. But for me, it's like, who am I not to share this bliss if it's true for me in that moment? That's not to say that every minute of every day I'm sharing. I'm not. I'm very, I'm very intuitive about when and how and where I'm inspired to share. It's not an obligation. It's not a duty. It's not a schedule. But when um, the spirit moves me, whatever spirit you want to think about, creative spirit, highest spirit, whatever, uh, I'm here in service and Nosara is not mine to keep and the magic of this place is not mine to hoard. I feel that I'm able to offer just a tiny taste or a tiny glimpse to whoever may be meant to receive it on that day. And if it's a 15 second Instagram story on their way driving through traffic, well, actually, I hope they're not watching the story in traffic. So let's say sitting at their Quick desk disclaimer. in the job that they hate in the beige cubicle and, and that tiny little thing gives them a little tiny fraction of hope or joy or breath or love. Um, then for me, that's, that's a, a day well spent. It's a moment well spent and it, it comes deeply from a place of service. And I had to get over a lot of feeling weird and ridiculous and so all So let me ask things. you about that. That's, I want to interrupt yeah. you. Uh, well, first off, I'm going to plant the seed. I'm going to pull the rug out from under you here in a second. And I want to know about your Nosara dislikes. But before we go there, when, well, first I was going to say, does it take courage? Did you have a moment of like, I feel called to do this. I need to do this. I kind of want to do this, but I also kind of don't want to. And I, yeah. the shame and the weirdness, the awkwardness. Yeah. How did you wrestle with that? I'm okay. interested in Let hearing Let me be that. really clear because I think people look at like all, anybody's Instagram or Facebook and they're like, oh, they have it all together. They think you're perfect. Everything's you're so perfect. Great. Your life is perfect. I will like all day, every day say that I am the most perfectly imperfect human on the planet. And if you go deep within my Instagram, should you care to ever do that, you'll see lots of beautiful stories about shadow time and tough times. And and I go through massive, um, I'm relentless about seeking truth and honesty in my own life, which for better or worse, forces me to face all of it, all the shadows, all the tough decisions, all the fears, all the everything. So, specifically around this, I have never wanted to do anything that I've done in my life. My ego is like, hell no, do not quit this corporate job. Hell no, do not, um, you know, go into coaching is weird. Like weird people do that. They're hugging, they're talking about feelings. It's weird. Yoga, that's weird. That's like old ladies in unitards in basements. Do not go into yoga. So my ego has not wanted to do a single thing I've ever done. My soul and my heart are driving the bus. And it's usually after giant smackdowns that my ego finally is quiet and goes along for the ride. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. 
So I'm interested in knowing that moment. I'm always, whenever people make the decision that they are scared to make, I'm really interested in what was the catalyst. So my suspicion is that the spiritual beatdown is the catalyst to For take sure. that. And if we don't listen and if we don't have the courage and if we're not willing to take that leap, then expect the beatdown to come soon. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And I will, I will also say that the stronger you are and the more resilient you are, it can be a curse because the spiritual smackdowns need to be stronger. Right, because you'll just keep dealing with the Because you'll just, you're like, I got this. Exactly. Like, I'll just push harder. I'll just go longer. So for me, some of the shatterings have been massive and profound. My work over time has been to, I say, listen to the whispers before they become screams. So now it's like using my morning beach walk, my surfing time, my yoga practice to check in with my highest self regularly, as opposed to ignoring what your soul or your heart is telling you for 10 years until you end up with a physical illness, mental illness, whatever number of catastrophes that come when you ignore the truth of your soul or your heart for long enough. So yeah, I can, I could literally, I've already written a book. I could write 10 books about all the crucible moments of, of the smackdowns that lead to the awakenings. And then specifically around social media, the very first one that I did, again, I get these like intuitive hits like you should do a, a FaceTime thing or Facebook live. And I was like, this is so awkward. This is so embarrassing. This is the last thing on the planet. I'm super private. I'm very introverted. It's ironic that my career and gifts happen to be around speaking and articulating, but there you have it. There's the irony of life. But um, I remember the very first social media post I did on Instagram, like six years ago or five years ago, I was mortified. I was like, nobody cares what I'm doing. Nobody cares what I have to say. I don't even care what I'm doing. I'm too busy. I got four kids. I'm like working. I don't even care to tell somebody what I'm doing. But it, again, the sentences were coming. And so I started that. And I remember first time I hit post, I was mortified. Like I wanted to crawl into a hole and bury my head and never see anybody again. And I, I did this one 21 day challenge was the first time I started sharing on social media and it forced you to do, and I just committed to it. So discipline, commitment, leaping into your fears. These are some of the practices and principles I, I share in my work and I practice in my own life, just forcing myself to do it once a day. By the 21st day, I was less mortified. And then I started getting feedback from people saying, thank you so much. I really appreciated what you shared. I've never thought of things in that terms. Or I really appreciate your honesty. Or your, I get that a lot. Like, thank you for being so authentic. And for me, it's mortifying sometimes to share that. Now it's less mortifying because I've done the inner work. I really don't care what anyone thinks about me. I have no shame, no guilt. I've done the work. I've, I've done deep dives into a lot of those um, shadow parts of myself. And so now when people say, oh, that's so brave of you to share that, there's not actually much resonance for most things for me anymore. But it's a process of leaping into your fears. The cure for shame or uh, embarrassment or fear is really to name it and bring it to the light and and air it out. So the truth shall set you free is, is absolutely accurate. Someone named Fabian, who was on this podcast a long time ago, he's a local architect. One time he told me, he said, Rich, we all have fears. We all have our demons. We all have these things, right? The only way to get rid of them is to allow them to eat you. Yeah. And if you can do that, they won't yeah. bother you anymore. Totally. So practices I have to share because I, I'm But always, that sounds scary. It's totally scary. So you guide people through it's that process. Totally, yeah, that's what I guide people through. because, And I have to walk the talk in my life because I cannot do what I do out in the world. I will not do. I cannot do. I physically, emotionally, mentally cannot even remotely talk to anybody else if I'm not modeling it in my own life. That's just like 
I'm incapable of it. It's not a moral choice. It's just like I physically and emotionally can't be out of alignment in that way. And that's so, a sign of actually of really great teachers because really great teachers they actually care that like they're they're deep into it. They're mad if you miss class. They're mad mm-hmm. if you're not paying attention. Like mm-hmm. they're giving a part of themselves to you, and that's what you're expressing right now. You're giving yourself everything you've got to the to these people who. Yeah are believing in you. So you have to be in it with them to really connect. A hundred percent. I don't ever see myself as a teacher or a guy. I say a guide because I see it's like if you're walking through the woods and I just happen to know some trails, I'll show you the way, but I'm not like in any way top down telling anybody what to do ever. I'm not a guru. I'm not even, I don't even like the word teacher necessarily in the sense, but I do have well, some do you tools. Like then to describe yourself? I like guide. Guide? Like I have I have a flashlight. I know a few directions. Is that too hippie? Like can people take you seriously if you're like, hi, I'm Lindsay. I'm a, I'm a guide. I don't really care, to be honest. So <laughs> talk like, me through that then. <laughs> okay. So the social media piece is like a good, a good illustration of the journey I've been on because I only cared about what everyone else thought when I was in my early 20s. That was all I cared about. If you have a lot of anxiety. Did my resume look good? Common, did I right? offend? I had a lot of social anxiety about like you go to a party and the next day I would spend the whole day trying to figure out ruminating. Did I offend anybody? Did I say something wrong? Whatever that may be. All right. So let me ask you a question. A lot of, <laughs> well, first off, I have mad respect for everything you've told me. I'm really enjoying the conversation, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to speak up for anyone listening. Who's went this far with us, uh, who might not be as spirit filled as your, uh, as, as everything you're, you're disseminating for us. So here's my question. Uh huh. What would you say to the person who's just like, man, this woman sounds pretty intelligent, but all this hocus pocus, mumbo jumbo guide, all this type of stuff. I just don't buy it. And for them, they just don't feel it. It's just like life's more Mm -hmm. concrete. Yeah. How would you address somebody who probably could benefit from a lot of the stuff that you do, Mm -hmm. but to them, it's just like, oh, not another life coach. Not like, like, what do you say to the to that mm. mentality out there. Like, or I don't say do anything not? to them. I, I send them blessings and, um, I'm not here to convince or convert anybody to any belief system. I really don't care if anyone changes. I don't even care if anyone ever comes to me for, for any work that I do. I'm here in service and in offering. If somebody's not ready to make any transitions in their life, then I'm super happy for them that they're content. But what I see often in those people is anxiety, depression, burnout, addiction. So if that's true, but what's your, what's your, how do you lubricate the process I from don't. I'm jaded? I don't care. To I don't care. Like, but you do care about them. That's not true. I love them deeply. Okay. I have no attachment to them making any changes. If they want to be burnt out, addicted, I mean, I could, this is a really real topic. I've had like very close family members attempt suicide and have severe addictions. So like, this is real when I say I, I'm not attached to other people's journeys. If people are not ready or willing or interested in their own transformation, it's none of my business. What if they are, but not in this format that works so well that you've lived? Then I'm not their person. Then they what should go find an folks? entry level person who wants to talk about, um, you know, how to get better quarterly results at work. That's a good entry level. Like there's lots of different access points. I'm just one gotcha. voice in the chorus. I'm operating so baby at a steps. baby steps. Like it could be going to the gym. That could be that person's entry level. If what I'm saying sounds like gibberish to somebody, 
I have no problem with that. I'm just speaking to the people who are ready to hear what I have to say. I have no attachment. I'm aware of the fact that what I'm saying, and I've had to come out of the closet. You talked about coming out of the closet. Let me talk to you about closets. Let's talk about closets. Let's talk about masks. Let's talk about costumes. I spent my entire early life in a black Gucci suit with my hair pulled back with, you know, Manola Blahnik shoes on playing the part so that everybody could feel safe with me. And I went in and I talked to them about quarterly results. And I can talk to you all day, every day about leadership, about performance. I could quote you statistics. I've done, I started a PhD in leadership. Like I can talk to you about things that make people feel safe. That's not the conversation I want to have anymore. There are loads of people that can have that conversation. And if that's the place where people are at, that's where I was serving okay, so for what much are of my people career. Who are in the middle? So, who are, who are kind of have a, are halfway in, halfway out. What would you say to them? I would say to them, um, the same thing I would say to anyone, which is if what you're doing is working for you, carry on. But if you're sensing that there's something else out there for you, I would invite them to listen to those, again, to the hints of, oh, this person's interesting to me. I'm going to start following them on social media or this book is interesting. I'm going to read this book. It's baby, baby, baby steps. And I'd love that you brought this up because when I start talking, I really just am like riffing and I don't really think about what I say. In fact, I don't even remember what I say, but every single thing I do with every client, every talk I give, um, every retreat that I run, I'm obsessed with taking these very kind of giant esoteric conversations and boiling them down into massively practical tools. So for that person that you're talking about, I would say I have one client. She's super senior at a major um, banking company in Canada. She came on a retreat. She has massive transformations. She turns her chair around every day at sunset in her corner office in the bank tower and watches the sunset. That's what she does. I have other clients who go out every day at lunch now instead of sitting at their desks working. They take a half an hour and they go sit in a park and they put their feet on the ground and they take a deep breath at lunchtime. I'm really encouraging people to do walking meetings instead of sitting in these stuffy boardrooms. Say to your person down the hall, let's go for a walk. Let's go grab a coffee and we'll so walk and So just like a talk. little twist. Try Baby this, steps. add this, and Baby then... Baby steps. If, um, you know, if, if it's, uh, you know, meditation is a hot topic now, all of a sudden it's trendy. Uh, it took me forever to be able to sit in meditation. So if that doesn't work for you, go for a walk. And instead of letting your mind spiral into all the things that aren't working, a simple practice is to look at the nature around you and make it. I used to do this. I used to run all the time in Toronto and I would run marathons. I'd be running for hours and I would just make a point of saying, oh, the leaves are changing color. Oh, there's a new flower out. Um, the birds are migrating. It gives your brain a point of focus and, so awareness. That it, and awareness, connection to nature. And there's so much research. Every single thing I say is deeply rooted in research. And that's not something that I throw out like right off the bat because I find it kind of boring, to be honest. I have more important things to say than that. But I want to be clear because I think it's so valid and important and I forget about this, that nothing that I talk about has – I've it's been deeply, deeply tested experientially in my life, in the lives of the thousands of clients I've worked with, as well as validated by deeply academic research let's pause for a second so and just hearing through our conversation i just kind of put something together what i'll give you a tip okay you give me a million i'll give you one so for the person who's just like not quite to the openness and universe and yeah. channeling and all, all these types of things yeah maybe that's just too far out there maybe that person needs to hear what you just said you go back into business mode, get the serious look you had on your face for a second, 
everything's based on research, sir and ma'am. Da, yeah. da, 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 and then baby step them out from there. Because if they're wired like a, yeah, I do color codes by people like a, a CEO who's domineering is yeah. kind of like a red, an engineer or a financial planner is like a green. And then you have you, your highest self is a yellow love, peace, bliss, all these yeah. good things, uh, animals, nature, and then a blue is just all about fun. Yeah. So if a red comes into you, a red's not wired to listen to a yellow because yeah. a yellow is just about this hippie nonsense. Yeah. But the red needs you. Yes. So badly, that's such right? a good point. Thank you for saying this because in this context with you, um, I'm feeling yellow. My entire career and my entire client base are red. I'm trying to show our millions of so, listeners the multiple sides of you. Yeah. Because so if they just I see do, yellow, the red who's watching is like, yeah. So what I do cool, now, but. and my t- you mentioned my TED talk, um, the TEDx talk. So it's called Now What? Going from the Walking Dead to Alive and Awake. And I list all kinds of research and I have a two by two matrix, which I share in that, which is very analytical. I have, I'm equally divided in the left brain and right brain. Nice. I come from a very deep, the reason I got that big corporate job is because I used to win all the accounting awards and finance awards. Like I'm very mathematical. I'm very analytical. Right. I'm that's very just not what strategic. you want to do. And that's not your highest So if that's the jam we want to have, like in a job interview for that thing, I, I will like, we could talk all day and I value that. I like logic. So is there a client out there who might not be wired to the highest of levels? They not, they not be ready for all of Lindsay alive or yeah. alive. Wait, is there, do you have like kind of packages for the baby steps? Yeah. So I have, I'll tell you the story cause it's so perfect. So I've run these, I've run these experiences down here in Nosara and oftentimes people will bring their partners. So the one person's super bought in, they're drinking the Kool-Aid, they're all in. And it's been both men and women. So it's not been that like it's I'm all... I'm excited to hear this. Yeah. This is what I'm getting at. So this is my favorite, actually. These are my favorite. So the clients that are the most resistant to me at the beginning, first of all, I, I'm very, very good at reading where people are and meeting them where they're at. So I would never present to somebody who's hardcore CEO red the way that we're chatting right now. I used to literally go in, as I said, in the black Gucci suit with the Harvard Business Review articles, with all the research literally laid out, proposals with statistics and research. So that's how I would present if you were a CEO in, in a bank tower. Go back to your story with the husband and wife. Okay. I want to hear what's going so on. So I run these, these experiences and I have a lot of people that are all in, you know, they're, they're on their journeys and we're resonating. And so they sign up for my experiences and they're like, I'm going to bring my partner because I really want to do this journey together. And I'm like, amazing. I actually offer that the partner gets sort of like, a, there's a discount because I'm like all about the, if we don't grow together, we grow apart idea. So it's happened to me many times now that the one partner's all in. They're like, you know, front of the room, ready to go, yoga pants on, ready to grow, ready to do all the things. And I've had multiple times the other partner come in and say, so you don't know me, but I'm so-and-so. And I really respect what you're doing. It's just not for me. So I'm going to probably be booking a flight back home again in two days, but I just want you to know that it's nothing to do with you. This is just not my jam. Or I'm going to just be in my room. I brought a really good novel. I'm going to be reading like no offense to you, but I'm not, this is not my jam. And so my answer to them as it would be to anyone is that's amazing. I so honor you wherever you are on your journey and you're welcome to join us anytime. But if you don't want to, no worries. And without fail, every single time, they slowly will show up at, okay, I'm going to come to the first yoga class. Okay, fine. I'll sit in on the first little 
coaching circle that we do after yoga. Okay, I guess I'll go to the beach and, and do and then sunset. And slide into the process. And surf. And then, okay, I'll do the surf lesson too. And then they start chatting with people at dinners and realize that everybody's like super cool, super smart, running major things out in the world and just want to live their best life, have fun, live with purpose, purpose-driven, passion-fueled lives. And without fail, I can tell you so many, I can see them all. They're like flashing through my mind right now. And specifically, I've had like one guy runs this massive construction empire and he's like the biggest dudes dude you could imagine. Another one's like a physician, sports medicine. Another one runs this massive online empire and they're all super analytical, super thing. I can, I can see their faces in the closing circle at the end of the week, crying their eyes out, saying that this was the most profound week of their lives. And they are my number one evangelist out in the world to this works. day. And that's true for every client I've ever had that's come in resistant. And I, I force nothing on anyone. If they want to talk about their, their workout regime and uh, give them a, you know, some productivity tips on how they can run meetings better, that's awesome. We can talk about that. Inevitably, there's 10,000 other layers that are underneath that once they feel safe, once they feel heard, it's lonely at the top. These CEOs, these elite leaders, um, they often can't trust anybody in their world. Their partners are, can only hold so much space for them. They're, they're, you know, romantic partners. Politically, it's suicide if they divulge any weakness to anybody at their level. And on top of that, there's often a lot of, um, history and, um, I don't want to say just wounding, but a lot of mental health, all these other things that go hand in hand with driving for that level of achievement. So I think one of the things I'm actually really great at in life is is seeing people's souls. And one of the things I'm able to do is see them exactly as they are and fall really in love with them exactly as they are with no judgment, no expectation of them changing. While at the same time, I can see their potential for what's possible for them without any attachment to them ever getting on that journey. And I think people sense my love for them, my compassion for them, my acceptance, and also that I'll play with them in any field they want to play. Like if you want to play the analytical, um, logical reasoning game, I'm so happy to play in that realm. If they want to talk about something that's uh, in a different realm, I'm, I, I think one thing also I will say because I've done so much inner work on myself that I have a really wide spectrum of places that I can hold space for people on. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the, the final answer. Cause what I was going to ask you, what's the tipping point to get a naysayer into it? And again, you, at first you were well hard. If I'm not right for him, I'm not right for him. But in sharing those stories, you answered all of my questions. I get it. Um, I kind of, I kind of quit all of life is sales in mm. some manner, even if it's just going to the restaurant that you want to uh -huh. or, your kids, or your partners, children are amazing salespeople. Just mm -hmm. drive past a toy store or something like you'll like, mm -hmm. like we we're, almost everything is, is some sort of sale. And in your line of work, it seems to me like it's this, I mean, I hate to use terms like elevation or lower or higher, but words are mm -hmm. all we have to work with. So I'll mm -hmm. give it a try. Mm -hmm. What you're shooting for and what you like to do is really high level growth stuff. Yeah. An ideal person for you is somebody who's like, listen, I'm open to this. Mm -hmm. Help guide me through this forest. Mm -hmm. That's like, that gets you fired up. Yeah. Now, especially people who are married and have partners, people are at different stages in life. Yes. Everyone's growing at a different spot. Yeah. And if somebody's here and someone's there, I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just different. I knew that you were facing that. So that's why I was excited to hear how you deal with it. And it sounds like how you deal with it is I'm doing the really short version to make sure I understood you. 
you accept them as they are, however yeah. it may be. And then just by being there and leaving them alone, they slowly ooze in and, and ease into the process. I'm wondering, is there a tipping point or a commonality from the naysayer when they go into, hey, this was good mm-hmm. for me? Mm-hmm. Where's the moment where that normally happens? Is it on a particular aspect of them? Does it is it is a professional realization? Is it a personal one? Mm-hmm. Is it this thing that I thought was so important really isn't as important as I guess I was giving it credence to? Or no, mm-hmm. I don't have to answer to them. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the commonality? And the leaders, when they go from naysayers, ah, that's such a good question. To and I was, believers. I was trying to, you know, I was integrating everything you were saying. Uh, I'm bad with words sometimes there's too. An, <laughs> you're so amazing. Sorry. There's a, a new book which I actually haven't read, but I love the analogy of it, and it's so funny because my logo for Alive and Awake is two mountains, and the book is called The Second Mountain, and I just heard about it from a friend, and so uh, I'm sure many people have heard about Maslow's hierarchy of needs of safety and security all the way up to self-actualization. One thing I've realized about myself is that I think that where I most am called to serve at this point is around that self-actualization is the now what crowd people who are really searching for that sense of purpose, that sense of connection, that sense of something greater, who am I self-awareness, self-realization. So that's just the realm that I'm playing at. That doesn't mean that the other Levels aren't important. Safety and security is important. Emotional connection to other humans, like it's all important. You found your comfortable. That's just where I'm at in my own journey. Therefore, that's where I feel most aligned to serve. And the second mountain book is basically about that most people are climbing and climbing and climbing this first mountain, which is about success, money, title, checking off all the boxes. The people that generally come to me are the people that have reached the peak of that first mountain or are on their way to reaching the peak and realize they could, which was my case as a young, in my early 20s, I'm like, I know exactly how this is going to go for the next 20 years. I'm going to go do this, then I'm going to go do an MBA and I'm going to do more. So I kind of had mentally, emotionally realized I could reach that peak and they get to the top and they're like, oh God, is this it? Now what? I thought there was going to be more. So that sense of of, uh, emptiness, numbness. Um, lack of fulfillment from the external validation, then they start to get on what they call the second mountain, which is that sense of meaning, purpose, contribution, um, passion, living in joy, contentment. And this is where a lot of the wisdom traditions align. And there's lots of different language. Um, but that tends to be the sweet spot that I'm here is basically to escort people and guide them from their journeys it's through the like valley. You have your buckets at these spots. Yeah, it's like and they're at the top of the first mountain. And they're like, oh God, I made it to the top and I, I hate this or I'm right. not happy or whatever. Well, that's when the guide steps in. The guide and steps over in. To the next. And it inevitably does involve a walk through the valley of darkness because that's when you have to strip away limiting beliefs, childhood patterning, face the truth that I might be addicted to something like success or drugs or alcohol or sex or blah, blah, blah. Or um, my relationship may not be good or my work situation may not be good or I hate where I'm living. So that's where the valley of darkness comes in is when you have to actually face the truth mm-hmm. and stop living the fantasy of it's like the blinders come off. Then once you do that work and make meaning of the suffering, make meaning of of all of the internal work, then that's when the work that I do is to help people get real clarity. And that's what you were asking about the TED Talk is all about, I think the ultimate formula for success is to lead a purpose-driven passion-fueled life. So if you have a clear sense of purpose, why you're on the planet, servant leadership is a term they talk about in the leadership literature. And what I love about it is that the research supports that when you have a clear sense of purpose, this is really, really well-founded 
very like 30 years ago research in academics about leadership that when you have a clear sense of purpose, performance skyrockets, enge employee engagement skyrockets. And that happens again on the, on the organizational level or in our own individual performance. When I know why I'm doing something, if I'm compelled to be of service, I'm going to get up every day full of energy, full of excitement, full of ideas and clarity. On the other hand, if you do only giving, giving, giving on purpose, it can lead to burnout. So what Nosara has given me and my own I don't want to say regular stages of burnout, but often enough that I've been humbled to realize sure. there's more to the story than just giving and giving and doing and doing is I think we also need to fill ourselves up with passion, with play, with rest, with surfing, with human connection, with laughter, with dancing on the beach, with sunsets. And as we fill ourselves up, and again, the research around that, around positive psychology and being in positive emotional states. Barbara Fredrickson is somebody who's done a lot of research on that. Sean Aker is out of Harvard right now. He's doing a ton of research on happiness. Again, it leads to bigger picture thinking, complex problem solving, greater immune systems, mental, physical, emotional health, and performance. So again, this positive spiral to me, is the ultimate definition of success. It taps into flow state, which again, there's all kinds of research about how to reach exponentially different levels of, of disruptive change on the planet, of leadership, of whether it's musical performance, athletics, business, surfing, whatever it is. When you can tap into these highest states of consciousness, this isn't just spiritual woo-woo. This is actually like super scientifically supported uh, neuroscience that we're talking about, about tap tapping into altered states of consciousness through whatever means, if it's meditation, if it's exercise, surfing, um, the whole research around flow state is highly conclusive that when we can get into these states and the ways that we do that, Nosara is perfectly suited to create the research supports through nature, through movement, through surfing specifically, yoga specifically, mindfulness, um, community, tribe, sense of purpose, gratitude practices. To me, the Pura Vida expression is all about gratitude. It's like life is good, how blessed we are. And when we speak to local, uh, you know, Tico people, like, how's your family? And they're always like, oh, todo bien, gracias a Dios. Like always this gra gratitude, gratitude, gratitude that I feel I am inspired by, by the local community. And those are all the key ingredients to thriving, according mm. to research. And and when I say thriving, I mean mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, and improved performance, and ultimately disruptively exciting, game-changing innovations in life. That's when you write the big book, you start the big company, you completely change your industry um, because you're operating at an entirely different level of existence. What I just heard you say was Nosara somehow or another is like an efficiency location as well as like a battery booster yes recharger decompressor it's for for you it's like it's like if if you want to make your car go from whatever it is to like super efficient that's what nosara is for you yes. in your life that's what you're saying yes it's like this magical uh, container. But you put just all hit the business, personal, in. inside, outside. You, you hit like a it's million everything. different categories. That's because it, it does. It can, it's exactly that. It helps you just strip away what's no longer needed, tap into that state of rest and play. So if you want to advance, this is a good place to do it. If you want to, if you want to get after it, yeah. sounds like by everything that you're saying, 
this is a pretty good spot. This is the paradox of, of leadership as I see it, of life as I see it, is that we think if we push harder and grind more, mm-hmm. we're going to be more successful. Yep. The re- well, most people quit though. and, and so, Or they burn out or they quit. Or well, I'm saying even before that, most people get that mentality. I have that mentality because mm-hmm. basically everyone, everyone's too big a word. Pardon me using gener- generalities here or stereotyping. But most people just quit. One thing I've, I've noticed professionally and everything, yeah. people just, as soon as life gets hard, I'm out, I'm looking for the short path. Mm-hmm. And that's where it kind of got locked in. It's like, all right, so you're telling me if I just keep doing this mm-hmm. and don't quit, it'll work and other, and I'll, I'll find my spot here. So yeah. I could see how society myself even got into that. I think what you're doing is, is what you've been doing your whole life is you were looking beyond it. You achieve success very early. Then you traveled. You're like, wait, they're happier than them. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. This other thing's BS. I'm going to get into more of that. And then yeah. you did. Yeah. But most people, <clears throat> this is, I guess this is what I was getting to earlier in my questions. Uh, when I keep, cause I keep asking about what about the naysayers? What about the naysayers? Here's what I'm getting at. If you said the word meditation in 1985 at a corporate board meeting, you were a hippie stoner, loser, totally. idiot, asshole who should not be saying those things. Totally. If you said it in 95, for sure. There were a couple people who were like, yeah, I'm not fully into this whole Eastern stuff, but I've thought about it. I've heard about it. And mm-hmm. I've seen this. If you say it in 2005, now some, some books are out there. Yeah. Things are moving. And now if you say it in 2015 or 2020, as we're going into that now, it's, it's common. It's commonplace. Yeah. But if you said that, I guess what I'm saying is what you do and everything that you're describing so passionately to me. I see where you're at and I'm proud of you and I'm kind of jealous, but in a good way, what I'm saying is a lot of the people still back there, they need to tap into what you have to offer, but because you're off, like really getting after it over here, they aren't, they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. They don't realize they, (laughs) they should get a dose of of you dancing on the beach. They should tap in for a second Mm -hmm. because just like they ease into the seminars when you're around them, the energy is mm-hmm. contagious and the, it all, it all happens when they're there. But what about that guy who's sitting in his cubicle right now who didn't make it this far in the podcast because uh-huh. it's too yeah, hippie? Yeah. He still needs you. Okay. So I just was reminded of that Nietzsche quote, which I'm going to paraphrase. I don't know it off by heart, but those who were, who were seen dancing were thought to be insane by those who couldn't hear the music. That's, yeah. There you go. I am always the one dancing. And some people just can't hear the music. So when you talked about when I started my career, I was already deeply into yoga. I was already doing um, this emotional intelligence, weird woo-woo stuff. I called it my dirty little secret. Like I did not talk about it in corporate. You would have been marched to the door. Even coaching, I would go in and they were like, is that like therapy? And they would look at me like I was like this leper. They were like, and and I was not even, I was using Harvard Business Review articles. Doesn't matter. Like business language, business, I had PowerPoint presentations and I knew because I was reading. I told you I'm good at assessing. Fast forward, yoga is the hottest thing on the planet. People, companies are calling me regularly. Do you know anything about this whole meditation mindfulness thing? We've been told that we have to do it because it's the most important factor in performance. Google's doing it. So-and-so's doing it. And we think we need to do this whole positive psychology, all the rage. So I have no problem when you're like the naysayers. That's my normal. I have no problem. I am always the freakish person dancing on the beach when other people can't hear the music. 
that's my calling in life for better or for worse. Is it vulnerable sometimes? Yes. Is it scary? Yes. Is it um, sometimes my ego wants to stay home and just play and be like everybody else? Yes, for sure. Hey, do your kids ever do your kids ever get bothered? Oh by Oh my your- gosh, don't! I have to tell you, this is the funniest thing. So, kids are so brilliant as you know, all kids are. And the other day, I think there's a couple dumb ones out there, but no, 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 maybe. I don't know. But, um, this is such a good point because I think that any leadership in my opinion is show, don't tell. Like I will talk to any person I speak to who crosses my path. To me, the only version of leadership that matters is authentic leadership. Mm. And that's what the research supports as well. So be the change show, don't tell live, what your values are. And so for me, when you're like the naysayers, when I say I, I don't, I, this is going to sound mean, but I don't care. Like, I don't care. I literally don't care if anybody judges me. I've also have enough years behind me that I have the confidence to say, I know what I know. I trust my instincts. Now, when I was 23, 24, going into yoga and trying to bring this emotional intelligence stuff into organizations, I felt vulnerable and naked because it was weird. And I didn't have the confidence in myself that I knew what I was talking about. Fast forward to this stage of my life. I've been proven right through life, through society, that my instincts are aligned. So My soul's feel? instincts. It feels liberating and it, but that's something that I think is only comes with experience, right? Like you can't, you can't buy that kind of knowing. That's something that only comes if you were willing to walk through the shadow part. hundred percent and do the work and face the fears and be vulnerable and stand naked on a bridge and hope that people show up. And thank God they've shown up for me and they continue to show up. And if they don't, I turn around and I walk away and I keep walking until I find people who are aligned with what I have to say. And so leading by example in parenting and with kids, of course, like I tried to get them into yoga and mindfulness and meditation when they're all babies. And as every good child should, they reject everything their own parent teaches them as they should in the individuation process. And so my kids wanted very little if anything to do with, except for my baby, she used to come down and she still does sometimes. And only when I didn't want any, anyone around is like, they have a radar. Mm -hmm. Then she would get up an hour early to come and sit while I was trying to meditate. Of course. But other than, or if I wanted an alone yoga practice, then they're all over you. But as soon as I try to like do family, anything. Um, so I let that go. And and this is the same with immediate family. And that's to your point about converting anyone. (laughs) Most times people have to have a massive spiritual smackdown to get humble enough to realize that their ego can no longer drive the boat. And if somebody is not yet in that position, it's the definition of insanity. I won't spend a single second banging my head against that wall. I will turn around and offer whatever I have available to offer to somebody who's dying for what I have to share, who's ready, who's waiting. Is the, so, is it when, as we discussed earlier, when one person's in, one person's out, is and let's just say that the other person doesn't convert. They don't come to Costa Rica mm-hmm. for, for your retreat. They don't get, they don't get close enough to the, this new light yeah. to get it. Is that the biggest challenge for a lot of your people is going back to their normal lives yes. and getting kind of. That is. And I, I also wanted to, I guess, challenge something you said, cause I have a different perspective. Cause you said all of life is, <laughs> is this the kids are the kids are dumb comment I made. I was just no. joking. No, no. You were, you said earlier that all of life is sales and I appreciate that, but I have a different perspective, which is all of life is attraction and resonance. So I don't try to sell anything to anyone. My entire business and career. I would disagree, but we can debate that. I know. That's why I said I'm just, I'm respectfully disagreeing with you. But for me, what's been my truth is that my entire business has been built through word of mouth. So people go back and they tell everybody 
about the experience, a hundred percent of my business has been built through this, like you need to talk to her. And it's usually circumstantial. It's often when somebody's going through a transitional time, whether they've just been promoted and they feel out of their league or they're going through a personal crisis or a professional political situation at work where they're feeling really stretched. It's, it's usually there's a crucible moment where they're humble enough and open enough to admit that they need extra support until somebody's in that sweet spot. And it's all about being in the right place. Timing is everything, right? That's something we say in business all the time. Timing is everything. And so again, in my career earlier on, I would try to maybe, you know, hustle and push and convert and get people on board. But now at this stage, partly because I have a certain reputation and body of work behind me, but now they come to me is my philosophy when somebody's ready. So my job is to put things out in the world as I'm inspired to do. So I, I post my social media, I write my articles, I speak when I'm out at global events, I speak on stages. And if and when it's the right time for somebody to hear my message, I offer, um, I always make sure to say, if somebody wants a follow up, like, so I'm doing the work as far as making myself available to do the work. But I trust that if and when it's the right time for somebody to come, they're going to, the right person is going to hear the message. And you know, they say it takes somebody an average of seven times to hear a message before it resonates. So my message might only be the first, second, third, or fourth time they hear something. So I'm not attached to them coming to me, but I am excited about the fact that they got the first, second, third, and fourth pieces of insight, wisdom, or aha, so that when the next three come, if it's somebody else, or often it is me, they come back to you. I often have people say, you know, I met you five years ago, or I saw this thing you posted four years ago, and it just, it stuck with me. It planted, and I'm all about planting seeds. And I have no idea if and when they're going to germinate. I have no attachment to them germinating. If somebody isn't on that path in this lifetime, that's none of my business. But when it blossoms using the seed analogy, I'm here and ready to serve in whatever capacity makes sense. I got you. That all, that all makes sense. Um, I, I think you're a bit of a master of the drip system. Okay. What's that? I don't know the name. Uh, and also I stand by my comment. All, all of life is sales. Everything <laughs> you just described is a sale. And Semantics. We're just we're <laughs> arguing over the connotations of what a word means. Exactly. So you just described a wonderful marketing and sales system mm -hmm. to a T. I told you I'm very analytical. It's just language. I, I get it. So here's what it comes down to. You have more experience than most. You're well down this road. This isn't like a hobby. You just woke up one day and mm -hmm. said, I'm going to be a life coach because my life isn't working out. That sounds like fun. Mm -hmm. You're the extreme opposite into that to where you've done not only personally research wise, you've done the hard lifting and the heavy lifting, and you also have credibility. You have people who are already subscribing to your system and that gives you freedom. You don't have to worry about naysayers because you're doing just fine. Mm -hmm. Now, flip it around to the new life coach who just went through a divorce. This is a real common one. Just got yeah. divorced. I'm free. I'm a life coach now. Yeah. That's the one. I'm not saying it's bad that they're doing that. I'm saying that person is the person making it hard to subscribe to your high levelness and your Jedi level of this because the people who really need to subscribe to this might get exposed to the wrong teacher. I notice um, I'm feeling like a little bit nauseous in my stomach right and I, now. You can't change this. this. This is just how it is. <laughs> but think about it this way. This is also how it goes for, but think about it this way. There's good priests. There's very bad priests. I know. This there's is like good car salespeople. There's good used car salespeople. There's good realtors. There's good, there's good this. There's good, but there's also a lot of bad. <sighs> so have, yeah. you're in a world 
and this is why I keep going back into this because I'm trying to get behind the behind the scenes and pull the covers back and like see the real you. And the real you is you've just been doing this a long time and you're a bit of a pioneer in this whole yeah this whole thing. Yeah, I don't even like this whole thing. I'm actually literally getting physically uncomfortable right now as you're talking about it because I'm bringing you here. We have day to. one. I hate the word coach. I hate the industry of coaching. I hate all of it. To be honest with you, I get three to six emails a day. I hate from all of life it. Coaches. I hate all. Of, and I'm, I never have called myself a life coach. I called myself that for like one second. So I'm. I work. I say I'm a transformational leadership coach. But you say you're also a guide. That's why I said the word guide. It feels cleaner for me because I've been in the coaching industry since its infancy. It literally did not exist when I started. It was in its infancy. People thought I was crazy when I told them that I was doing this. I thought I was crazy. I was like, this is weird. And I cannot tell you how many people I have seen get up on stages, write their books, talk, 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 talk. And this happens in, in yoga. This happens in, in coaching. It happens in, it happens in every industry. They take one self-help course. They read two self-help books. They anoint themselves a guru. They write themselves a book and they start declaring to the world that they are the be all and end all. That is the antithesis of everything that I stand for. I come from the most humble, like apprenticeship model of like show, don't tell, do the inner work. I, my coach training is all about the Socratic approach of ask, don't tell. So it's very much uh, open-ended questioning and holding space. I'm a genius at loving humans. I can tell you that for a fact. I'm a genius at that. And I have no advice for anybody ever. I have only a mirror. I have some feedback. I have some awarenesses. I will never in a million lifetimes pretend to know what's good for somebody else to do in their lifetime. So when I see people, the exact thing that you're talking about, I literally cringe. It makes me want to like crawl into a hole and just like never come out, which is why I said to you, I don't, I like the word guide. That resonates for me. Mm-hmm. It feels true. That, that last one, when she got fired up, that was awesome, Lindsay. I love that. You I made me uncomfortable. That. I'm that sweating over here. I'm that like... Was- But that was real. (laughs) Because I value excellence and I value humility and I value learning and I value doing the work. And I like... It causes you pain when other people don't, but now they're speaking from the top of the mountain. And I don't want to judge even that. And I totally just judged it. It's just so out of alignment for me because... um, That's not who you are. There's an arrogance, in my opinion, to thinking you know what's best for others. And to also, this is the other point that, that really upsets me about it is that when you have certain ability, energy is contagious. And so if you have not cleared out your own inner work, and that's not to say we don't always, 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 every single day of my life, that's why I'm walking the beach every morning. That's why I'm in yoga every single day, surfing, journaling. I have coaches. I have teachers. I have every kind of support system you can imagine. I'm a humble student and forever on my own growth journey. But to anoint yourself as a guru and to start um, telling everybody what to do when you haven't really like done a good deep dive into your own inner work for me feels it would be like like being a physician and reading a book on anatomy and then anointing yourself as a physician yeah exactly it's exactly the same thing to me i take the inner work as seriously if not more seriously than i would any kind of level of mastery in any field you know remember at the very beginning of not the very beginning, but towards the beginning of our conversation where I said, what do you say to the, to the reds, to the people where I, I, I just, I see the value in what you do. Hmm. 
I now completely understand you're not a normal life coach, guide, whatever it is that you want to call yourself. You're not today's version of what people think that is. Mm -mm. Like if you say car salesman, people think use car salesman guy mm -hmm. in a weird checkerboard. Hey, you know, kind of that. Mm -hmm. When you say life coach, people have that connotation. Mm -hmm. It's very clear to me that you're not that you're something completely different mm -hmm. and you're actually walking the talk, practicing, and you're right in there. Mm -hmm. I, I get all that, but I'm close to you and I see it. I want to know, and I, there's not an answer to this probably, but what I'm saying is more people could benefit from what you have to mm -hmm. offer than they know. And I mm -hmm. almost feel bad because they have to go through the spiritual smackdown. Yeah. And it, it shouldn't, it seems unfair almost because there's a whole lot of people If they just spent five minutes with you and you went on one of your rambles for five minutes, that energy, energy is contagious. Yeah. And back to sales, I know you don't like that word. I think everything you do is sales, but I don't mean that in a bad way. Your energy is contagious. Yeah. It's, it's a transference of energy. Yes. People need a little taste of that, yes. but they're scared. Are That's true. So that, that's what I keep chipping back away at. My, my, I was a sales trainer in my formal, uh, my former existence. And, um, I traveled around the country and taught groups of people how to overcome objections. So every time you're talking, I'm just like, so you tell me, like, what would you say to the red CEO about me? I I'm at a loss for language because what you just said is my truth. I'm a show. Don't tell person. I know that my energy is contagious language. Although I'm, I think pretty good at using words for me is obviously it's not a, it's not enough. I don't know right. how to use words to describe what I do. So please tell me what, what would you say to that? Okay, red or fine. What should I say? Now, I'll be your guide for a moment. Please guide I'll me. Put my guide hat. All right. So what I think you should do is have a way for different styles of personalities to learn about you. Okay. Like what? Well, you're a chameleon. You can mm -hmm. put on the dress stuff. You can talk analytics or you can go to top hippie mountain and go with the best mm -hmm. of them. You're mm -hmm. wide scope, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the rest of the world is probably somewhere in their kind of comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's like a hard hitting facts, figures type guy, you should have a way to be exposed to them in that manner. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to meet you talking about the celestial plane stuff mm -hmm. that second. They have a moment to meet you on your quoting <laughs> yes. the research. Yes. And then if you have somebody who's just a little bit kind of a limby, a little further along into the, the feeling side of things, mm -hmm. maybe you can have like a split, like even just. Like if, if they can hit your website and realize you're not yes the, I just decided to become a life coach, all this that stuff cool. you just decided that you didn't like, <laughs> if there's a way for people to find that out quick, yeah. I think more and more people are going to be drawn into what you do. Okay. I for love sure. it. I love and it. I think if people can see that it's not just a bunch of, I read a bunch of spirituality books and I've, I've meditated for several years and I went to India once, yeah. that type of thing. Yes. I think that'll help a lot of people yeah. ratchet in and see the difference in you. I just don't want you getting lumped into a general, and this happens with everything and you don't deserve that. You're, Aww, you're, thank you. you have something to offer this legitimate in a world that many people think that you can't quantify that. Mm. So I'm just saying, if there's a way for the reds to see you, mm. if you can find a way to get that first impression, I, I think that would, I, I don't think I, I'm almost positive. I don't know yeah. anything except I'm white and I'm going to die, but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty positive that's that's what you need. And it's actually perfect timing because I legitimately this week I'm starting a complete relaunch of my website and I'm 100% refocusing it on the elite global leaders, the Reds. 
because that's my entire background and my current version of my website. This is so such a beautiful, actually, testament to Nosara because the pendulum swings in our life, right? So I was so analytical, so corporate, so academically driven for my entire life. Mm-hmm. I needed to give myself permission to, to be the weird here. hippie chick doing yoga on the beach. And so I gave myself full permission. That was scary, vulnerable. I remember the first time I posted that website, I was like, oh my God, I look like such a flake. And I'm like, fuck it, I don't care. I'm going to just own it. I'm going to like, that was my shadow work. I'm like, I'm just going to step right into the terror. You can't even imagine the terror I had posting that coming from. I can't. I just launched RichBurger.com and I can't do it. Academic background corporate elite blah 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 so for me that was a rite of passage i needed to give myself full permission to out myself i literally had to come out of the closet out of the spiritual closet now thank god all the research and every single other thing is supporting back in that middle path which is what it's all about so that's what i'm in the process of doing and i appreciate i'm going to come back to you for feedback on my languaging on my website if i may and i've actually made a very clear decision in the last really six months um i've been in davos at the world economic forum doing this tedx talk i'm being asked to speak at these like global summits on cryptocurrency and so they're coming to me. The Reds are coming and they're ready for me now. They weren't all ready for me yet and they're not all ready now. But enough of them are ready that right. I'm focusing 100% of my work going forward on the Reds, on the global game changers, on the founders, influencers, and elite global leaders because I'm obsessed with – and so the languaging is going to go back to leading with research, leading with all the facts, all the things that make – it's creating a safe container for them to be like, okay, she's one of us because I am one of them a hundred percent. And that's why when I'm in Davos at the world economic forum and I start chatting with like the head of whatever investment bank instantly, I don't actually need to convince anybody of anything when I start talking to them. That's what I've found. As soon as they spend about three to four minutes with me and I can meet them in whatever languaging they feel comfortable in, the trust is there, the guards come down and the, the sales process, as you have beautifully challenged me on, is done. It's like a show, don't tell. And and I have the depth. I have the background. I have the respect and appreciation for the analytical side of things. For I deeply respect research. I, it's just I've proven it to myself, so I no longer feel the need to prove People it. People buy off emotion and justify with facts. Yeah. What you just described to me, first off, the sales process, never. it's always on. It never isn't with you. Mm-hmm. You are I am. a drip system yeah. master. I still don't even know what drip system is. Yeah, we got sidetracked. I, I need to go back to there. But back to what you just said. You okay. meet someone, you said three to four minutes. Some people, it might take 10, 20, 30 minutes. Some people have to say a whole lot of words, and they're just shotgunning their approach. Your approach is... You generally don't remember what you say half the time because you're just speaking from your heart and you're just Mm -hmm. flowing, correct? That's Mm -hmm. what I understood you to say Mm -hmm. earlier. That person felt your conveyance of energy. Yes, exactly. It wasn't any humdinger of a word that you said or some zinger sales line. Mm -mm. It's literally just felt who you are and said, all right, I think they're authentic. And that feeling felt good. And now if there's just enough facts and figures... Yes. They're in. That's exactly right. By off emotion and justify looking for facts. That's exactly right. You make people feel nice and that's why they go further with you. And the reason I make them feel nice is because I have genuine love for humans. Okay. So, and and I mean, that sounds spiritual, but it's also supported by research. Well, it's also the most passionate thing that you said today. You said the one thing I'm at is an absolute ninja master, whatever your term was, of loving humans. Yeah. Then you followed it up with a great. I can't tell them anything, but I know that I'm amazing at loving them. Mm-hmm. That's where your drift system is when you're dancing on the beach and it pops across the Instagram feed at the right time at the right moment. And that's what you described a, lo- a while yes. ago. People contact you all the time. I just needed to hear that. I just yes. needed to see that. Yeah. 
But you don't yeah. turn off. You seem to be pretty consistent. It's with who this. I am. It's not a thing I do. Okay. It's who I am on the planet. And I've done the shadow work for everybody. I, f- I feel that's who everybody I know. Uh, so it's who everyone is on the planet in their truest essence. All right. So here's something that a lot of the moms out there, we've talked over a hundred times. How do you do this with this much conviction, having four kids <gasps> oh. and a life and. Yeah. This is a shout out to the parents because they are my greatest teachers. My kids are my greatest teachers. They are my um, humility, my learning. Having these four perfect little beings enter, being the vessel for them, first of all, that's a whole other story about that journey. But then I've known since the day they were born that they were here to teach me. And so I'm just watching and listening. And it's my place to shatter my own ego. It's my place to question all the beliefs I've had. So to say it's not separate for me to be a parent or to be a global leader around leadership. To me, it's one and the same. How I treat my kids, what I learn from my kids is the exact material that I then go speak about on stages at Davos or at the World Economic Forum. It's To me, there's no separation between any part of my life. That's why when we, I was saying, which part of me are, do you want to talk about today? Because I don't have, I don't see any difference. I've had branding people be like, well, what are you? Are you a this? Are you a that? Are you a mom? Are you a, a yogi? Are you a leadership guru? Are you a this? And I'm like, yes, I'm all of it. Depends. Those are just different, um, like a kaleidoscope, different pieces of the lens that makes up me. And so parenting, and that's not to say, it's not a constant polarity between do I want to be hanging out with my kids 24-7? Yes. Do I also want to be creating work that I know is of great value to people out in the world? Yes. So that's that healthy tension of making conscious choices and different life stages. When the kids were little, I was very, very present physically and time-wise time with them. Now they're older. They're in school all the time. Um, I have more time. I'm more clear on the fact that getting on a plane and going away to speak somewhere internationally – they're going to be just fine. They're, they've got the foundation. I've got the support system. They've got a beautiful tribe here to support them. That's a season that has changed. I didn't miss a single drop off or a pickup when they were babies. Like I was at every music class, every gymboree. I, I squeezed my clients in at 4.30 in the morning for emails, and but seasons and life changes. So if, if parents have young kids and they're like, what the what? I get it. It's like this too shall pass. And for me, one thing I've gotten clarity on, especially in the last few years, because I've had to really release my shadow work of guilt about leaving my kids about a very strong being a mother for me is the most important mission on the planet tied equally with the soul work that I meant to do out in the world. And that's been a very recent awareness. Uh, I used to have guilt and shame about the desire and the calling I had to serve out in the world because I thought it, I had a lot of imprinting about what it was to be a good mother or a good woman. So I had to undo a lot of that in order to um, honor the truth of my soul calling, which is that I'm equally called to be a parent and um, a member of family as I am to serve out in the world. And so that's just a constant dance of making conscious choices every single day according to where I'm at where everybody else is at and just doing the best and knowing that I'm going to fail sometimes. And that's when we practice deep compassion and self-love and sometimes making things right with other people and cleaning up messes, which is just another whole beautiful place to play. Well, Hey, you said a couple things there. First off, thank you for sharing that. That was an honest moment that people listening to this could help. Uh, it could, it could help them because again, everything seems so perfect for you and you've mm-hmm. got it all figured out, right? Uh, that's the per- perception. And you're saying, no, no, that's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. I've morphed into 
being a mother is actually the source of material for my teaching, right? And that was everything you just shared. Mm-hmm. But you also said, this is who you are. It's not what you say. And you also use the term healthy tension. Yes. Which was, I think, uh, that's where it got real for a lot of people. So, like, as I'm listening to you talk, it's like, okay, great. So, you're just that good that you have figured out the Mm -hmm. balance between your professional life and your home life. And it's just who you are. Fine. That's just like another bunch of, another hippie statement. But then you followed it up with, there's a healthy tension. And that's, it it like got real. It's like, oh, oh, and you're right. There is a tension. And the, it's bouncing all over the place. What you're saying is either someone guided you through that or you've, you did it yourself and figured out the path. But like you use the forest analogy, you're not teaching someone. You're just saying, hey, see this path right here? Let's try this one. Yeah. So what you're saying is you could take that same mom who's stressed right now, who maybe the kids are at the little stages yeah. and it hasn't passed yet. You said this too shall pass. A lot of the the, t- the tough work of the, the being infants has yeah. moved on. They're in school now. Yeah. But someone listening to this is going through hell and the kid that they love, they also resent. Yes. And then the husband's not cooperating or doing yes. his stuff. And then mm-hmm. just all of this and it hasn't passed yet. They're in the middle of it. What would you say to that person right now? I could, I could like do four different workshops on the question you just asked because there's so many beautiful, um, to someone who's listening to a so podcast. The first though. thing, the first thing I'm going to share some like quick tips. I'm just going to give it to you right now. The first thing is replacing the word have to with get to. That's going to change your life in parenting. I have to take the kids to school. I have to read the kids a story. I have to make get the to. kids their lunch. I get to. I have the privilege of being a parent. I'm not negating the fact that it can be hard. I have four kids. I had four kids in six years. I had a partner who was gone all the time building five tech startups. I was basically like a single parent. I get it. It's hard. I had times I was crawling on the floor so sick physically to get from one kid's bed to the next because there I had no backup. So I'm not negating. The second thing I would say is be where you are. If you're having a shit day, if you're having a hard time, pull out your journal, have a cry, call a girlfriend and own it and admit it. The other thing you didn't rehash that I said is I faced my guilt and shame deeply. Do the work, sit in the darkness. And that's not easy. That is warrior level work. Get help, get coaches, get therapists, get spiritual teachers, get a community, get girlfriends, guy friends, read books, listen to podcasts. You don't have to do it alone. That's my other obsessive Mm. message. Go on a retreat. Give yourself permission. Take step into your fear. It's terrifying. I went to Bali five years ago for a month. It was the most terrifying thing I have ever done. It was a disaster. Logically, my soul was screaming at me that I had to go and recharge myself. I was completely burnt out mental, physical, emotional breakdown about to happen. And I stepped into my, I cried for months leading up to it. I had to face every guilt, shame, fear, belief system about abandonment of my children, et cetera. It was the best thing I ever did. Mm. I don't recommend that everybody needs to do that for you. It could be an afternoon at like the spa or a bathtub, but step into the fear, value your own happiness, joy, self-care above everything else. And that might sound radical to parents. Make yourself again. It, value it, your own physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being above everyone else. This is especially for mothers. If you're burnt out, if you're having a mental or emotional breakdown, you are of no use to anyone. If you completely obliterate your marriage or your life because you hate your husband, because you've been alone for all these days, that's not going to help anybody. 
speak up, speak your truth, ask your partner to take care of the kids for a while. So you can go, you go to a yoga class, go, go out with your girlfriends, whatever it is that you do. Um, this whole martyrdom thing is something that I've really had to face. I come from a long line of very powerful mothers and the matriarchy of my lineage is really powerful, which is such a blessing. I, I'm an amazing mother. I'm a maternal figure to almost everybody I come into contact with. And the shadow side of that is the guilt and shame about when you take time for yourself. So every single thing is a polarity. When we talk about walking the tightrope between um, opposing what seem to be opposing forces, um, I have or your beautiful term of healthy tension. Healthy tension is like well, you can't walk a tightrope if it's if it's sagging. So we need tension in life. We need to make choices. We need to. Um, to me, that's the aliveness and that's the juiciness of life. Would my life be like? Like I have loads of friends who don't have kids yet or don't want kids and they're doing similar work to me and they're working like 14 hours a day and they're killing it in their businesses. And there's a big part of me that's like, wow, that must be amazing to just like get to like work all day and not have to go do pickups and drop offs and all this other stuff. And then I spend five milliseconds with my kids and I'm like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. I'm out on surfboards with my kids now who I had to teach how to swim. I had to like do all the surf lessons. I was out there with the camera while they were learning to surf. And now I'm sitting out there with my kids on surfboards, watching them shred down the line. And I'm like, there's nothing that can replace that. And so again, like anything, you got to put in the work. You got to, you got to earn your happiness in some ways of if you didn't have the contrast of the hard times of the sleepless nights of the of the stress of the not knowing there's no way you could experience the joy and elation of the good times and without that contrast you wouldn't appreciate the light nearly as much so i, I just got an idea so again thank you <clears throat> but in the interest of time i know we got to get you out of here too i have an idea Sometime, maybe this high season or just after, we should do an episode where people can ask questions. Yes. And I'll, I'll, I'll collect the questions because they're going to come in and people will send them to me. And then we'll sit down and you can tackle each one. I and maybe we'll it. allocate a certain... You know, that's my favorite way to do stuff. You do that sometimes? That's my favorite. Q&A is my favorite because right. I like just bouncing in, like riffing on whatever people are thinking of. I would love to do okay, that. Okay, because there's a lot of energy behind this and I'm enjoying yeah. the conversation. And also I want to offer that I'm I'm so excited and happy to connect with anybody who wants to just reach out to me. I always answer my messages on Instagram and Facebook. And if people just have quick questions, I'm, I'm really here in service and I'm respectful of my own time. I'm respectful of my own boundaries. But if people do have their interest peaked or they have any questions or they run into me on the street in the community, unless I'm like running down to go get my kids or something, I'm so happy to chat. And I'm, I really I'm deeply in love with and obsessed with human connection. So in any way, shape or form, I welcome it. I invite it. And I also know if it's not the right timing, I'll let you know. But otherwise, I'm here in deepest service. Right on. Well, this this will reach a it'll reach a couple folks. And the one thing I've learned from the podcast and also doing this weird Nosara podcast because I'm not targeting the world. It's not like a general subject where this is all applicable. Well, this subject is, but Nosara is not applicable to someone in Asia or wherever. My point is this. Not everyone has to see this, just a couple people. Uh-huh, exactly. And, and that's it. A couple people for sure are going to get a lot of everything you shared, especially especially speaking from your heart on the end about the mothering and the challenges. Mm -hmm. That There's a lot of people out there who need to hear it and mm -hmm. know that know that they're not alone and, and you're out there for that matter. What do you dislike about Nosara? I know you told me you were going to ask me this, and I, I cannot think of a single thing. 
So give I, me some ideas because I am so madly in love with this place. I, okay. I will like, find a good so thing about everything. So this is one of the only times I'll come in pretty hard on someone. Okay. We're about we're gonna we're okay. gonna have a little tussle here. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so to say you don't have any dislikes about a place is yeah. just so incorrect. I can't even <laughs> think of a word to express how strongly I disagree with you. Okay, tell me. Okay, I'm listening. All right. So you don't have it. Well, I already know you have dislikes. Do you like dust? Our roads. Okay, are very I'm going to give you this. This Our is a philosophical question to me because because I'm asking you a concrete. I question. have a deep acceptance for things for what is. So okay. the dust. Do I like dust? No, I do not like okay. dust. Do I appreciate the fact that? We live on dirt roads and not on concrete roads. I love the fact. So I'm, for me, it's all about perspective. And so, um, you're transitioning, which you're a master of transition and taking things the right way and processing. Yeah, processing that's what them. I'm, I'm really right. good so at. So for someone to ask you something very negative, it's not in your It's nature. not the lens that I look through the world. I tend to, and this is, this is a choice I make. The things that trigger me or upset me, I use them as a mirror for where I'm still available to be triggered or upset and I try to clean up and then I also try to clean up specifically with that person if possible and then beyond that I look away and I walk on and I don't like I could focus on the dust all day every day it's a losing battle mentally I'm just gonna be pissed all day every day I got you but we're going back to being a good guide and coach and making sense and all these things okay I'll tell you one thing that um I I don't gravitate towards that I don't love is I know that in any small town, because I grew up in a small town, people like to talk about other people's business. And and that is one thing I will be very open and honest about that I have no use for. And I'm not interested in other people's business unless they want to talk to me directly and they want support or they want a friend. But I don't like gossip and I don't like people making stories up about other people that they have no idea what they're talking about. And I grew up in a small town and, and I was... Um, my family was kind of, my dad was a physician, so we were well known. And so I'll, I have a very strong dislike for people, um, gossiping, talking about other people's business. And I don't want to hear it because also I don't want to run into someone in the grocery store and have weird information about them. I'm like, I don't want to know. If somebody wants to tell me their intimate secrets, I get paid to do that for a living. I love hearing people's <laughs> truth. I love hearing people's stories. I'm all in if you want to have like a constructive hey, conversation. You're, just, you're describing that old saying, small town, big hell. Yeah, I know. I've heard that about yeah. people say that about Nostara. Okay, so, so I grew okay. up in a small town, so I'm highly, highly Can I get you to admit that you that. don't like Actually, you know what? I won. I'm good. I, you don't have to say anything. I else. said I don't like gossiping. You know what? I don't, I, you you got it. You got it out of contact. me. That's the purpose of the question. There's something dislike, and also I would argue it's okay to say I dislike gossip. And and then I'm gonna flip it around too and say ah, I, I, I got it. I got it because what I love about a small town is that people care. Okay. So the, the flip side of the shadow of gossip, and I come from a small town and my family has had trauma. And man, can I tell you that that small town has rallied around us. So as much as people think everybody else's business is their own and it's annoying, when stuff goes down, the thing I love, and we see it here when the flooding happens or when crisis happens, people rally. People care. So the shadow side of gossip is that people care about other people's business. The light side of gossip is that people care about other people's business. So that's we, what we I will... We have the same opinion on all of these things. That's what I'll say about that. I'm just trying to empower you. It's okay to say <laughs> I dislike something without having to transition it. I but yeah. you know what? I totally respect because a lot of one of my big training techniques is pretend there's a you 
on your head. And when someone sends something at you, you have to be able to transition it back. Yes. And that's what you're doing to me. So I'll respect that. Thank you. We actually share the same opinion. And do we hate the dust? Do we hate the rose? Do we hate all these things? Of course. But is there a good side that comes with all of them? Pretty much. Yeah. It keeps like people who can't handle a little adventure, keeps them away. The one, my biggest dislikes of this place is the social gossip scene. So I actually have the same answer as you and then crime. That's probably. Yeah, I know you and I've spoken about this in the past and I, I, um, I see it. I have not, I don't want to jinx anything by saying it out loud, but I, I have not been, um, like immediately impacted by it in this. So I don't want to say anything more about that, but I, I see it and it just personally hasn't been, um, on my, like, personally impacted as much other yeah, than awareness. Dog on some wood or, or keep putting I know, that I know. I'm like, I don't want to say it out loud. I don't want to say it out loud. Um, <laughs> oh, man. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll like I hear along. you. I hear you. Yeah, crime cards and electronics. That's what I hear tell you. Everyone, That's all day. I'm going to say. Crime cards and electronics. I hear okay, you. Okay, last question. What are your three favorite restaurants in no particular order? What do you like to get there? Oh, my gosh. This is tough. I love to eat. Just spit and it. Don't oh, think much okay, about it. Okay, Olivia's for sure. What do you get Olivia's? Olivia's pizza. And I add olives. So good. Little secret if somebody doesn't know that. And La Luna, for sure. Vibes there. What do you like at La Luna the most? Um, shrimp tacos okay. and Mediterranean platter to start. Right. And then I would go Beach Dog. What items at Beach Dog do you like the most? Uh, I really like the way that they're really pushing into the vegan space. I, I eat um, like pescatarian, but I love the creativity around. So last night I had this like vegan burger. They have... Um, a lot of just really good plant-based options. I just that had I really that same like. burger. It's so good, other. right? Yeah, it actually is good. Yeah. So. I don't know if you saw the podcast with Mike, but I, <laughs> Mike and I have been friends a long time and yeah. I always tease him about how he's like the angry chef. Yes. Um, but now he's turned into like the nicer chef. He's like the Buddha chef. He, yeah. He's like transitioned. I know. I love stuff. him. He's been a good friend of mine too, since they opened way back when yeah. I used to go for, in fact, I was talking to him about it the other day. I used to run when I was like pregnant or babies and strollers and, and, um, they were the only place in town that made a latte way back when. So I would do my full loop of my run. I was a big runner and I would stop and chat with them and, and get a latte there. So yeah, that's, that so, place is like i yeah shout out to, to all these restaurants but the so with mike i was just i was very suspicious he's like i'm getting this vegan thing man i'm going for it i'm like yeah. dude vegan food tastes like a shoe no just don't lie just say hey this tastes like crap and i would always tell him it's like man i don't want to pay money to eat something i think someone ought to pay me to, have yes. to eat yes and, agree and we bicker about it and i tease him and he's like i'm making this burger and then yes. they came up with one and now he has another and i go in there and order it and Mike wins. So uh, no, I I think he's so creative, and he's a good friend as well. And I always yeah. love to chat with him. And um, yeah, that's for me. And that's what Nosara also embodies for me is it's such a microcosm of to me all the highest aspirations of what makes people thrive. So the food scene here, I think, is amazing. The focus on local, on healthy, on community, on um, for me again is 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 a, a global leader in the sense of like this beautiful little like petri dish of possibility yeah, of you, how you I feel should, the rest of the world should live to be right. honest like you're if they right. want to thrive if they want to eat you know gross food and be you know not healthy that's their choice but Diego he in his podcast mm -hmm. he shared how passionate he is about food mm -hmm. and Mike of course I think he've done a, might have done a couple episodes with him now yeah I can't remember and then I'd like to get I'd like to get La Luna in. Yeah. At some point in time. But and anyway. you can taste it. You can taste the passion in the food at Olivia's and at Beach Dog and at La Luna. You can taste the love. You can taste the passion and the concern for the ingredients. And and I think that's, again, we were talking earlier about it's not the words. It's not even the menu. It's not the things. It's the energy behind it. Right. And that's, I think, 
the food is kind of the metaphor for everything about Nosara is the energy behind it, the love that's infused in it, the care, the attention uh, that makes this place so magical. Well, hey, I want to thank you for coming in. And I look forward to doing the Q&A episode. I would love to do that. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure.